All right, good morning again, and happy Father's Day again. Uh, I know that what every dad really wants for Father's Day is a nice, short sermon at church, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys, not going to happen today. But as, uh, as many of you know, uh, this past week, the NBA season came to an end. Now, obviously, the Lakers didn't have a good year, but we got to watch the Boston Celtics lose in dramatic fashion. So overall, I'd say it was a win. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen, thank you. I was a little less excited than I thought you guys were going to be about that. But anyway, at the end of every NBA season, I'm always reminded of something former coach Pat Riley once said about winning championships. He talked about this uh, idea he called the disease of more. And he said, quote, success is often the first step towards disaster. Now, he was talking about basketball and the specific challenges of repeating as an NBA champion, but there's a larger truth behind this idea, that success does not always make us happier, better people. Yes, success can bring us joy and fulfillment, but success can also lead to disappointment. And emptiness. It can lead to selfishness and greed. It can lead to conflict and frustration. And so one of the most important questions in life is not just how do we handle the hard times? How do we handle the struggles? It's also how do we handle success? How do we respond to the good times, the blessings, the victories that we experience? And this morning, we're going to continue our series on the Psalms, uh, which we've been in now for several weeks. And we're going to be looking at a third major category of Psalms, the Psalms of praise. And these are songs and prayers for seasons of joy and celebration, for when we experience God's grace and blessing in new and surprising ways. And these psalms are a little bit more fun and upbeat than the ones we've been in for the past month or so. Uh, they make for great worship songs and motivational posters and inspirational Instagram posts. But they're not just feel-good psalms. There's also a discipleship component. Because they challenge us to consider how to respond faithfully to good times, to blessings. They, allow, they challenge us, they invite us to allow God to shape the inner life, our emotions and convictions and beliefs through seasons of victory. And ultimately, they provide a roadmap to a genuine, long-term, lasting joy. And so today we're going to begin with one of the most simple but important parts of praise, cultivating genuine thankfulness. We'll be looking at a psalm of praise and thanksgiving in light of blessing. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 is, is kind of an interesting psalm. I hadn't really spent any time reading this before this uh, past couple weeks. And what stood out to me immediately is kind of the unique structure. In a way, this psalm reminds me a little bit of a modern-day worship song, because it's centered around these four short vignettes, or four short stories, kind of like verses in a song. 
And there's some repetition within each of these stories, so it almost feels like there's a verse, a pre-chorus, and a chorus. If you're a worship nerd like me, you, you probably find this interesting. It reminds me a little bit of one of those long, wordy Hillsong's United songs. It's kind of confusing at first, but makes sense once you look at it more deeply. And so in order to have this structure, the, the, the repetition, all this stuff come out in the psalm, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to do kind of a communal, interactive reading. You're not going to have to do too much. Don't worry. It's not going to be weird. I'm going to read most of the passage. But as we get into these four vignettes, I'm going to have you guys read uh, some of the repeated language. So this side of the room, you guys from this middle aisle onward, you guys are going to read the words in blue. And this is almost like the pre-chorus of the song. Okay, So you guys are going to read with me. It'll be obvious. It's not too long. And then you guys over here, you're going to read the words in red. Okay, And I just want to be clear, it's not a competition but I'll be silently judging all of you as you read these out loud. So do your best. I know sometimes when we read scripture in church, it kind of feels a little like culty. So let's try to read with some emphasis, some emotion. Let's not sound like brainwashed zombies. You know, like, say it like you mean it. Okay, Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Okay, so here's kind of the first story. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to, set to his city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Okay, here you guys go. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Nice job. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Okay, your turn now. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. It's awesome. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. All right, story number two. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Vignette 3. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thanks offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Okay, last story. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. 
They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He then kind of brings the song to a close with almost like a closing bridge here. Verse 33, he turned rivers into desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert pools of water into the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright sea and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Good job reading. Give yourselves a hand. So I hope, you know, that gave you a sense of some of the cool structure of this psalm. And we're going to come back to those four stories, those four vignettes in just a second. But the psalm begins with a clear challenge. The psalmist tells us exactly what he wants us to do. He begins with these words, give thanks to the Lord. This is a psalm about thankfulness and thanksgiving, about offering praise to God for what he has done for us, his people. And this might sound kind of obvious, but it's important for us to note here that the psalmist is not interested in simply the act of giving thanks. He's not talking about words that we say or songs that we're supposed to sing. He wants us to dive deep into the reason for our thankfulness. Uh, last week was a really fun week for our family. My sister Tracy and her husband Will were visiting from Atlanta with their daughter Emily. And Emily is two now, so, you know, she's kind of like an actual real person. You know, she can talk, she can play, she can do stuff, and so she's a lot of fun to be around. But she's also in a phase of life where she needs to regularly be told, be reminded to say thank you. So anytime someone does something for her, her parents will say to her, Emily, what do you say? What do you say to Uncle B? What do you say to Auntie Liz? And she has to remember to say those words. She's just learning to do this. So if I give her a cookie, you know, Auntie Tracy or Tracy will say, Emily, what do you say? And she'll kind of think about it, and she'll be eating a cookie, and she's like, thank you, Uncle B. And right now, it's just, it's just kind of words. And that's an important part of the process. But ultimately, there's a larger goal in having them teach her this. They want to cultivate real thankfulness. And when someone gives her a cookie, she thinks, wow, this is awesome. 
I'm really excited about this cookie. I didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. I didn't pay for it. I didn't make it. But someone gave it to me because they're nice, because they want me to be happy, because they love me. So thank you. And this is obviously a long process. We are still working on this with our seven-year-old and nine-year-old, having them be thankful. But giving thanks to God, it's not just words we say. It's not an act we participate in. It's not just a song we sing. It's a movement of the heart. And the psalmist makes this clear. He says, give thanks to the Lord and do it for a specific reason, because for he is good and his love endures forever. Now, this is a really significant concept. This phrase appears throughout the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament, for he is good and his love endures forever. Uh, these days, my Hebrew is pretty shaky, but these words really stand out because they're so critical to the Hebrew understanding of who God is. First, God is good. He is tov. And this takes us back to Genesis 1, to creation, to God making everything. And at the heart of his creation is the fact that he made it to be good. He made all of creation to experience his good blessing, the goodness of his peace, of life with him, under him, and for him. And so God in his nature is about bringing good into the world. It's not just that he is the best example of something that's good. It's not just that he's the highest level of what's good. It's that God alone is the source of all that's good. He alone makes life good. On top of that, the psalmist says that his love endures forever. And this is his hesed, his loving kindness. And this is more than just a feeling of love. It's not just an emotion. It's a commitment, a fierce commitment to, to stand by his love. It's rugged, resilient, unstoppable love. It's this impulse to bring his goodness to his people, no matter what. And it endures forever. And so just at the outset, just in these first opening verses, we see one of the keys to joyful living, one of the most important things we have to do when we experience blessing and success. It's to grow in our understanding of God's incredible goodness and love, and to develop an internal, heart-level disposition of thankfulness in light of who God is. And so really the question is, how do we do this? How do we develop that kind of attitude, that kind of conviction in who God is and what he's like? And to answer that question, the psalmist gives us these four stories, these four examples that paint a vivid picture of people coming to this kind of thankfulness. And in these stories, we see three clear practices that lead to giving thanks, three things that will help us to grow in our thanksgiving. And so the rest of our time this morning, we're going to talk about those three things. And so the first one is this. Thanksgiving grows out of honest lament. One of the interesting things about this particular psalm of thanksgiving is that it really begins in the season of hardship. The psalmist wants to take us back to lament, back to the pit. Each episode is about a group of people who are not experiencing God's goodness and love, who are struggling and hurting. 
And each of these four episodes reminds us that hardship can take a lot of different forms, but in each case, the response is always the same. You guys said it four times in a row, over and over and over again. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. In response to their struggle, in response to their hardship, they cried out to God. They came to him in prayer and humility. And this is a really important idea as we come out of our five weeks on the Psalms of Lament. Now, on one hand, lament is important because it helps us to deal with hard times. It helps us to deal with these emotions and struggles in the presence of God. But it's also important that we experience lament because this lament is what leads us to thankfulness. When we come to God in our need and brokenness, we give him the opportunity to show us who he is. We put ourselves in a position where we need to see his love. We need to see his goodness. In Psalm 40, another psalm of thanksgiving, we see the same pattern. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited on him. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. See, when we acknowledge God in the pit, when we wait on him and look for him at the bottom, we experience his love and grace more deeply as he brings us out. And because of that, we can look back and we can remember where we were. We can remember where we would be, what life might look like without God's grace and mercy and deliverance. And so lament is important to experience the emotion, but it isn't just about feeling sad and angry. It's about asking God, hey, show us, show me who you are in this season. And that brings us to our second key idea about cultivating thankfulness. Thankfulness is a choice to see and respond to God's goodness and love. These psalms are primarily an invitation to acknowledge what God has done. See, again, each story begins with the moment of struggle and lament, all the problems that are happening, but it's not the focus. The focus of the psalm is God's redemptive work. Again, in each story, we saw those same words. You guys read this part. After they cry out, he delivered them from their distress or saved them from distress or brought them out from distress. And I think there's an important tension to wrestle with here. Because in the Psalms of Lament, we saw this idea, we wrestled with this idea that life can be hard. We don't always get what we want. God doesn't always do what we hope he does when we hope he does it. But what we see in the Psalms of Thanksgiving is that in spite of all of that, in spite of the reality of hardship, we have to accept that we have also seen God work. We have seen his goodness. We have experienced his blessing, his deliverance, moments of grace and goodness. And this is true of just the normal day-to-day parts of life. Like the Old Testament believers, we experience his goodness in the ups and downs of life. But as New Testament believers, we have this rock-solid hope in his goodness and love through the cross, through the message, the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And so the question for us is not whether or not God will act. The question isn't whether or not God is good and loving. The question is whether or not we will recognize his goodness and love in our own stories. Will I see his goodness and love in my life? And will I give him the thanks and glory when I do see it in the big and small ways? And this really is the challenge of the chorus of the song. Each vignette is centered around these words, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and wonderful deeds for mankind. It's posed not as a fact, but an invitation. This is what God does. This is the choice he sets before you. And this is an important idea to consider because as as easy as it sounds to see that God is good and be thankful, it's actually pretty hard for us. I think one of the most basic destructive parts of our fallen humanness is to give God less glory than he deserves. It's our tendency to miss out on how good God is. And just really quickly, I want to talk about three examples of ways that we do this, three attitudes that we often have towards blessing that are not thankfulness. The first one is this, yep, I deserve this. This is the mistake of believing that we are responsible for our own blessing. So a lot of times we go to God when times are hard. We ask him for help. We, we kind of question his character. We might even blame him for the hardship. But then when things are good, what's easy to do is to take the credit for ourselves. You know, I'm not super proud of this, but I think some of my most Honest prayers in life have happened while I was fishing. Now, I uh, love fishing, but I'm not very good at fishing. So I spend a fair amount of time fishing, but not catching fish. Maybe some of you can relate. Maybe that's just what fishing is like. But again, I know this isn't like the most appropriate time for serious prayer, but you know, you're out there, you're in nature, you're thinking about God, you're in his presence. And then it's just like, man, there's all those fish in, in the water, you know, and like you, you can't help but think, you know, God, you're a God, you know, you're sovereign over the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea, and it would just make me really happy if in your sovereignty you would help me catch one fish today. Just one fish. Just, just give me a bite right now. I'll, I'll figure it out. But then if by some miracle I actually do catch a fish, and there's all the excitement of bringing in the fish, and, and uh, actually catch it, I'm looking at it, I'm excited about eating it. Right after that, usually what happens is, you know, I'll look at my buddy Josh, or I'll look at Alyssa, and, and then kind of the, the pride comes in. You're like, yep, I knew it was that green power bait. <sighs> I had a feeling that I knew how to, how to catch this fish. Or, hey, maybe you should cast it out about 10 yards further, maybe a little to the left, I think I have a good spot. I'm not sure you really know what you're doing. Or, hey, that, that line's a little bit, there's a little slack on there. Maybe you should do it this way or that way. All of a sudden, God had nothing to do with it. He was there with me. I was with him in the dry spell. But when I caught the fish, it was all me. And I know that's kind of a 
silly, irrelevant example, but I also think it's a good example of just how we have a tendency to think about life. It's natural to ask God for things, to seek out his help and blessing, to wonder about his goodness and sovereignty and love, but it's also natural when things go our way to see our part in it, to focus on what we've done. I was able to get that job or buy that house or a car or get into that school because I work so hard. I have what I have because I've put in a lot of effort. I get to enjoy this meal because I'm a great cook. I won that pickleball match because I'm so good up at the, in the kitchen. We are always prone to focusing on our end of things. And really, at the end of the day, it's okay to say, I did a good job with that. We do have a part to play in our own stories for sure, but the joyful person, the thankful person will always look to God and say, I know you had a part in that too. I know I couldn't have done it without you, and I remember that there were moments when I didn't have this job, when I didn't have this house, when I didn't have this car, when I didn't have this family. There are moments when my health, my well-being, my financial security were in doubt. And I'm going to recognize that I got where I am now because you were a part of that. And when we see that, we can just stop and take a moment to offer God thanks with our lips, to say it out loud, God, thank you, but also to file it away in our hearts. And say, okay, I've seen God's goodness. I know something new about what he's like. So be wary of the, I deserve this trap. Like all of these mistakes, this eats away at our long-term thankfulness and joy. The second mistake we make is, is that all? God, is that it? Isn't there more? Sometimes God does bless us, but not in the way we expect, not to the extent that we were hoping for. And so it's easy to focus on what we want instead of what we have. One of my least favorite things as a parent is like giving just something good to my kids and having them be like, eh, I wish I had something else. Like, hey, Greg, I know you love candy, Here's some Skittles. Only five? Kaya, mom and dad were, were shopping today and we found you this dress and we thought you'd really like it. What do you think? Did they have any other colors? <laughs> Guys, we had a great day. Why don't we finish off the day by going to get some ice cream? I'm taking you to yogurt land. Oh, we wanted Brewsters. We're tired of yogurt land. And I, I know it's normal, I know it's natural, but it's like, oh, it's so frustrating. And we're guilty of this with God all the time. One of the biggest reasons we aren't always thankful is because we want a different kind of blessing, or we want more blessing. There's always a better job, there's always a nicer car, or home, or kitchen, there's always a better bike. And the problem isn't wanting more, 
The problem is not having dreams and desires. The problem is when we become so laser focused on those big dreams and desires that we miss out on all the stuff, big and small, that God has already blessed us with. And so there's a discipline of thankfulness right here, right now, where I am. Even if the job's not done, even if there's more I want, even if there's a lot left to do, even if there's still lament and struggle in my life to stop and say, but also, God, you've been so good in where I am right now. Constantly saying, is that all? Is there more? You can see how that would rob you of so much joy. The last mistake or trap is uh, probably the simplest and the easiest to make. It's simply, God who? It's natural to go to God when things are hard. We talk about this all the time, right? We feel God's presence. We go to him. We feel like we need him during the seasons of lament. But then when things are good, we just want to enjoy the good things. And so we get busy and wrapped up in all the good things God gives us, work, family, friends, uh, the ability to, to do hobbies and have fun activities. And we fill our lives with all of this blessing. And it all comes from God, but if we're not careful, the blessings can actually push us away, God, when the blessings become all we're focused on. And so again, the discipline is to stop and to see and think about and reflect on and soak in what we're experiencing and to attribute it to God and recognize why we have what we have. There are so many ways, not just these three, to miss out on God's goodness and love. And here's the thing, we are all so good at it. We're so good at forgetting. We're so good at not paying attention to what God has done. And this is why the final part of Psalm 107 is so important. Our third and final practice for cultivating thankfulness is that it is a communal experience. We are meant to share the thanksgiving with each other as a body, in community, out loud, all the time, share stories of God's goodness with one another. As the psalm builds to its climax, these last two stories, the last two vignettes, they actually end in a different way than the first two. And this is an intentional point of emphasis on the part of the psalmist to shift the focus as we consider our thankfulness. Verse 22, the third vignette ends this way. Let them sacrifice thanks offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Then at the end of the fourth, verse 32, let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So the psalm is developing this process. Saying, give thanks. Think about what God has done for you. Recognize his blessing and then talk about it. Sing about it. Testify to it. And really, this is one of the main points of the whole psalm. All the way back in verse 2, the psalmist opened things with this. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Wherever you come from, east or west, north or south, come together, tell of God's goodness and love. Because while we as individuals are prone to forgetting, prone to doubting, 
prone to focusing the emphasis on ourselves. As a community, we can remember together, we can spur each other on to see who God is. Uh, a few weeks ago, our family got a chance to visit some friend's house for dinner. Uh, it's a newer family from our church, Abe and Ashley Kim, who are sitting over there today. And they had recently moved uh, into this house. They're new to the area, and we were seeing it for the first time. And I don't want to make you guys feel weird, but it was nice. Like, it was a nice place. Like, it's like HGTV nice. And so me and Alyssa, with Ashley's giving us the tour, and, you know, our jaws are just on the floor, struck by the high ceilings and nice finishes and furnishings. But what stuck out to us as we went home that day, it wasn't how nice the house was. It was how they talked about it. There was never one moment where they put the focus on themselves or their family, like, yeah, like, man, this place is awesome, or look at what we have. It was always look at how God has blessed us. We can't believe we live here either. God has been so good to our family. They made sure to tell us in detail about the process. And you guys know this of getting a house, finding a house, having an offer accepted, and seeing God's goodness and blessing throughout that whole process. And after that dinner, Alyssa and I were talking, and, and she said to me, you know, I want to be like that. I want to talk about our lives that way. I want to talk about God that way, because God has been good to us, too. They made us feel God's goodness to them, and I want to do that for others. And this really is what the psalmist is inviting us to, to see God's goodness and love, to experience it, but most importantly, to bring it and share it and invite others into it in community. Allow others to experience God's goodness to you, both in how you love and bless, but just in how you talk about God and your life. You know, in the book of Philippians, some of you probably recognize this, the Apostle Paul calls us to rejoice always. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but that's always struck me as actually one of the hardest commands. And it's obviously important because what Paul actually says is rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice and I think this psalm really helps us to understand how to do this, what this is supposed to look like. See, rejoice always doesn't mean that we're always happy. It doesn't mean that we should pretend that life is always exactly as we want it to be. It doesn't mean that we gloss over the hardship, that we put on a brave face when life is difficult. But what it means is that we can have a deep commitment to the goodness and love of God. A commitment that's been cultivated through all seasons. Seasons in the pit and then seasons as we come out of it. Both when we need grace and when we've experienced it. And so it makes God's love and goodness at the center of how we view life. It becomes the foundation of our emotional well-being. The foundation of our joy is God's unchanging goodness and love. And we can go to bank on that, and we can have unchanging, lasting joy 
when that's what we believe in. And so as we close this morning, as we worship, as we go from here, let's develop habits of thankfulness. Let's become a people that rejoices always, but does it together. That this is what church is about, a place where we can both share in the struggle, but also share in the joy and blessing. That we can see God's goodness and love together and worship through all things. Let's pray together.